0: All of our scripture readings today are from the prophets, Isaiah, Amos, and Jesus. And author Rachel Held Evans said this about the prophets. Prophets are not fortune tellers who predict the future. Prophets are truth tellers who see things as they really are, past, present, and future, and who challenge their communities to both accept that reality and imagine a better one. In other words, she says, prophets are weirdos. More than anyone else in scripture, they remind us that those odd ducks shouting from the margins of society may see things more clearly than the political and religious leaders from the inside track. We ignore them at our own peril. Hear now the words of the prophet Amos. They hate the one who reproves in the gate and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate, Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And then these words... The parable of Jesus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dog would come and lick his sores. Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. May God continue to bless our understanding of these sacred stories. Will you pray with me? O gracious and loving God, may the meditations of all our hearts and minds and souls be pleasing unto you this day and always. Amen. Spoiler alert, they all die in the end. And I don't mean they all die peacefully in their sleep at some ripe old age. They all die tragically and violently. And no, they don't die in a war. They die for speaking the truth. The prophet Amos and the disciples and many of the apostles all martyred for speaking the truth to power, to greed, to bigotry. And of course, the prophet Jesus is nailed to a cross, a very public crucifixion as a bloody reminder to the community to not even think about going up against the empire. And here's the second spoiler alert. You're probably not going to enjoy this sermon. Just reading these scripture passages from Amos and then Jesus' parable of the rich man made me feel convicted Amos' words are harsh. They abhor the one who speaks the truth. You trample the poor and take from them levies of grain. I know how many are your transgressions and how great your sins. You push aside the needy. And Jesus' parable of Lazarus and the rich man? The message hits home a little too close. The rich man lived in luxury, ignoring the man at the gate. Lazarus, who sat waiting for crumbs to drop from the rich man's table, covered in sores, ignored and famished. And yet, when Lazarus dies, he finds himself in heaven in the arms of Father Abraham. Can you imagine his relief, his joy? But the rich man's fortune has changed. He finds himself in hell tormented by the flames, and perhaps even more tormented to see that Lazarus has been saved. The first will be last, and the least of these will be first. The rich man pleads for mercy, and when he realizes he's not going to get it, he begs Abraham to send a warning to his brothers, insisting that surely a message from the dead will cause them to repent of their selfish ways before it's too late. But Abraham scoffs. And reminds the rich man that the prophets and Moses had spoken for years about what is right and just in God's kingdom, and they had ignored their prophecy. These are the words of prophecy that, like the rich man's brothers, we want to ignore. These are the passages that make us afraid to actually show up for Bible study. These are the passages that we try to put into historical context to somehow soften the blow. These are the passages we wrestle with and conclude maybe a bit too simply, well, yes, of course, we should take care of the poor. And maybe we do. And maybe we look away. Maybe like the rich man, we pass by Lazarus at the gate every day and look away because he's just too pathetic to make eye contact with. Maybe we start going in the back entrance to completely avoid any contact at all. Maybe we move to another part of town where there are no Lazaruses and build a bigger gate. Maybe we choose our routes carefully when we leave our community so we avoid those sad dilapidated neighborhoods where all those Lazaruses live. And the rich man goes to hell and the Lazaruses of the world sing with the angels in heaven. Well, rarely do I read the Bible literally, but what if I'm wrong? What if these stories are true? Now, I believe the stories of God and Jesus's unconditional love for me. I take that literally, but what if these stories are also true? Well, if they are, just like the rich man, I'm going to hell, and I don't think I'll be alone. I told you, you wouldn't like this sermon. Well, Baptist preacher and human rights activist, Allison Robinson once said, I am a Christian because I don't always know if the story is true, but I choose to live my life as if it were. I choose to live as if things that Jesus died for were worthy of God's sacrifice and therefore worthy of mine. So it begs the question, doesn't it? Even if we don't believe these stories are to be taken literally, What if we lived our lives as if they were true? So before you all go thinking, I've completely lost my mind suggesting that we're all going to hell. Here is what I believe. And I found out this week that what I believe has a name. Apparently, I'm a universalist. Who knew? That's the term used for people like me who believe that if there is a heaven, if there truly is life after death in the arms of our loving God and Jesus, we're all going. Did you just sigh a little bit of a sigh of relief? Yeah, a little bit. I can see it on your faces. Sinners and saints alike, I believe we're all going. And as the prophet Israel said, return to the Lord for mercy, for God will abundantly pardon That's how big I believe that God's love for us is and how liberating Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is for us all. And when I tell people this, they say, well, you know, what about those really evil people like Hitler? Surely Hitler didn't go to heaven. And I say, then, where does God draw the line? If we're not all going, if we're not all forgiven, which transgressions are forgiven and which aren't. And so I believe that ultimately, that we're all all forgiven and off to heaven we go. But if this is true, that God's love is so big, is so beyond our imagining, then how do we live our lives in response to that love? How do we live our lives so focused on the teachings of Jesus, of truly taking care of the Lazaruses of the world, that this love is not wasted on us. How do we live so that we can create a little bit of the kingdom here on earth? We've got our work cut out for us, don't we? The recent story about the CEO of McDonald's receiving an exit package of $42 million certainly reminded me of the rich man in this biblical story. Stephen Eastbrook was fired after his consensual relationship with an employee was found to violate violate company policy. $42 million. In 2018, he made $15.9 million. Well, a McDonald's crew member in the United States makes an average of $9 an hour. Of course their jobs don't compare, but the pay differential is astonishing. Not to mention, what do you think would happen to a $9 an hour employee if they were found in violation of company policy? A little closer to home, the poverty rate in Chicago is 20.6%, with food insecurity being part of that cycle of poverty. The Greater Chicago Food Depository defines food insecurity as the condition, where people cannot reliably access adequate nutritious food. Lack of financial and other resources can cause food insecurity. Hunger is what you feel when you don't have enough to eat. Food insecurity is the set of circumstances that prevents individuals from even having access to food. Their research shows that one to 5% of the population of Western Springs is food insecure. In LaGrange, it jumps to 5 to 12 percent. Broadview, 20 to 25 percent. And in neighborhoods like Garfield Park, Austin, and North Lawndale, the statistics are staggering at 35 to 57 percent. The Lazaruses are at our gates. Do we see them? One author reported that one of the prime dangers of wealth is that it causes blindness. Shall we heed the prophet's warnings and not be blind to what is right before us? Well, people sometimes ask why this congregation's mission and outreach budget is as large as it is, or why we are so committed to ministering beyond our walls. Because if, as a congregation, we are truly centered in Christ, then we must remain centered and faithful in trying our hardest to be focused on the mission that Jesus calls us to. To not only see, but to serve and to change the lives of the Lazaruses at our gates. To care for the oppressed, to seek justice for those seen as the least of these. It is why we support organizations like New Moms in Chicago. Just listen to their audacious goals. Guided by our mission to share the love of God by surrounding young moms and their children with everything they need to transform their lives. New Moms generates a two generation approach to engagement that puts families in control of their goals and unleashes their potential. Together with families, they construct the foundations of well-being by incorporating early childhood development supports, building pathways to and preparation for education and employment. And most importantly, their approach to ending the poverty the cycle of poverty is working. of young moms exited their program to stable housing. 48% obtained and retained employment for 12-plus months, better than the national benchmark of 39%. As a congregation, we are making a difference. And as individuals, we volunteer our time and talent with our mission partners. Many of you do that. We advocate to our local, state, and national representatives for equitable pay structures, and for economic development programs that help our neighbors in places like Austin and Garfield Park, where there are food deserts. The Greater Chicago Food Depository has great information on their website about legislation that we need to learn about that we can help support. We can vote and elect officials that represent our values and beliefs. We can heed the words of the prophets, the truth tellers, to not turn away. Every year, our confirmation students participate in preparing and delivering food to individuals in Garfield Park through our mission partner, the Knight Ministry. Every year, when we ask the confirmation class about what they found most interesting, they almost unanimously share their stories of their time with Knight Ministry, feeding the homeless and the hungry. This experience helps them take their blinders off. But then what? How do we continue to support and encourage our young people to make this not just a one-time event, but to grow and mature into adults, to work, to end these cycles of poverty? And how do we not only listen, but embrace the words of truth that prophets like Amos and Jesus spoke? Not because of the threat of eternal damnation, but in response to Jesus' incomprehensible love for us. Theologian Amy Jill Levine writes this of the parables. When we seek universal morals from a genre that is designed to surprise, challenge, shake up, or indict, and look for a single meaning in a form that opens to multiple interpretations, we are necessarily limiting the parables, and so ourselves. We might be better off thinking less about what the parables mean and more about what they can do. Remind, provoke, refine, confront, disturb. The scripture passages read today are meant to do exactly that. We should be disturbed. We should be provoked. These prophetic words are true. If we ignore them, it is at our own peril. And so let us prayerfully consider how Christ's love for us will cause us to respond. Amen.